Lord, may we be the people who live with Jesus, not just in our hearts, but all the way through our hands and through our heads and in all of our actions and all of our motives. May the life of Christ permeate everything about us, we pray. We thank you for this wonderful Savior. In his name we pray these things. The church says, amen. amen. Our series these days is called Courageous. It's the book of Joshua. And if you have a Bible, go with me to the sixth book of the Bible, and we're at the back of it now, Joshua chapters 23 and 24. I want to talk with you today about the incredible power of making a, a choice. And uh, what Joshua's going to give us is, a, a, he's going to give us a half a dozen pointers, really, on making life and death up and down choices. Because um, you and I, make choices all the time, uh, whether we know it or not. We, we make a choice as to, should I keep the job or move over to the other job? What's the better thing to do? Should I go back to school or not? Should I, should I get married? Uh, should we have children? Should we buy the house? Should we sell the house, move to a condo? Should we sell the condo, get an apartment? Should we just live in a camper somewhere along the interstate? Yeah, it's just, those are choices. Do I have the relationship? Should I keep the relationship? Should I allow that relationship more room in my life, or do I need to hold it at bay, keep some distance on it, a healthy boundary? Those are the kind of choices we're faced with all the time. And what Joshua's going to do is he's going to teach us in his closing moments, these are his final words, really, that we have in Scripture of his life. He's going to model for us uh, very transferable concepts on, on choices. Now, here's the deal. These choices are so good that that they're so transferable, they would work today. I could take those choices and, and put them in the New Testament and give you biblical support for the church, for people like you and me, to make good choices. That's how transferable they are. But really, our society is different in that they had some choices to make, but they didn't have as many choices as we have today. Today, we are overdone with choices. I mean, we have choices, good and evil, right? I mean, Yes and no, up and down. We have those kinds of choices. But quite frankly, we have more than any other generation today because we have more options in front of us when you think about it. You go to make a decision. You make the decision, and that was a hard decision to make, for instance, the purchase. And then they ask for an add-on to the purchase. Right? Have you ever had this happen? And they add more to that, and then they, they change this, and they change the equation there, and it becomes more and more, decision-making becomes more and more complex. It's ha it'll happen with you driving through fast food, doesn't it? Do you want that sandwich? Are you sure? Yeah. Do you want it double size? No. Cheese? No. Do you want it? And then they add, 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 add to it. Do you want those things or not? Just more options. Grocery stores, not that many years ago, offered, a grocery store offered 3,000 items. It's a lot of items, different items. A lot of things to stock on a shelf. Today, the average grocery store averages over 30,000 items. And if you go to a superstore, you could go in there and not come out for days, right? You ever had that happen? Yes. You just went down the aisle to get marinara sauce for spaghetti, and you're lost. Is it, uh, you have to call home. Do you want northern Italy, southern Italy? Do we want veggie with pork added? No. Okay, keep moving. Yeah, it's just, you just... There are so many options, are there not? It just, it doesn't go away. And so it isn't just the choices need to be made. Now the choices become more complex. 
There's layers to the choices upon the choices upon the choices. For me, never was that more illustrated than, any of you have a printer at home? It's hooked to your computer, a computer printer? Anybody? Yeah, seven of us? Okay. <laughs> All right, so, uh, it's, it's like uh, 8.30, almost 9 o'clock at night. Our, our printer runs out of ink. Anybody else have this problem with ink? Yeah, it runs out of ink, but never in the middle of the day, never ahead of time. It just runs out of ink. It's, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore. And, and so I saw I'm, I'm going to run down to the store before it closes. I'll run down the store, get some more ink. Well, I get down there. I need a T47J316BQ. There's too many, too many kinds of ink. Anybody else with me on this? Right. I just, I just bought a new printer. Number one, it was cheaper than the four units of ink. Can I get an amen? Anybody else had this problem? Yeah, four units of ink was 100 bucks. The printer was only 79. I, I'm not as dumb as you think. Plus, I got a new printer out of the deal. Of course, I just started the landfill in my backyard, but that's another. But there's just too many choices. And there's too many options to this thing. And so it becomes really complex. That's why you and I need this particular message from Joshua 23 and 24. We need this more than most and maybe more than any other generation. Okay, now, before we get into this story, just get up to speed on the story. Here's the way it starts. God chooses a people. They're called Hebrew people. Abraham is the father of the nation. He is Isaac, Jacob, and it goes down, Esau, it goes down the list. But they land at the end of the book of Genesis in slavery in North Africa, a land called Egypt. They come out of Egypt, out of that, it's called the Exodus, that's the story of the Exodus. But when they come out, they wander in the wilderness, and they finally get into the Promised Land. They cross the Jordan River and get into the Promised Land, which is now modern-day Israel today. These people now are called the Israelites, or Jews, or Hebrew people. Those are all kind of the same people in this one locale. Moses has been their leader. The new leader now has been Joshua, but now it's been 20 years. We're at the back of the book. Uh, and so it's been 20, maybe 25, as, as much as maybe 30 years, but at least 20, 25 years. Joshua is now 110 years old. He's an old man. And they've been conquering the land now for a couple decades. But he knows, even though they have the property, even though they've had a lot of victories, a lot of conquests going on, he knows God has not gotten hold of their hearts. And that's the issue of the ending of the story. He gets down to the heart of hearts of the big issue. And the issue is not the property. Now, you, you can write down these three Ps. Here they are. Number one, there's, there's the possession. There's power. There's prosperity. You can have all this stuff. You can have the property, the possession of the property. You can have the power. Because now they're, they're starting to build a kingdom now, a nation. And they could have power, political influence among the nations. And they know their holy terror. You could have all that. You could have prosperity. Because now they are eating from trees they never planted, out of vineyards they never, they never tended. They have cattle on these hills that they never groomed, those hills. They have all kinds of prosperity. But, but, but Joshua knows, unless they, here's the fourth P, and this is it. Unless you're living according to God's purpose, the other three Ps don't matter. Doesn't matter how much power you have. Doesn't ha matter how much possession you have. Doesn't ha matter how much money you have in, in prosperity. It does not matter. Because it'll all go away. It'll all be for naught if you don't do this the way God intended. And that's to serve the Lord 
with your whole life. If you don't do that, all this doesn't really matter. I like um, John Ortberg put it this way. He said, at the end of the game, called life, at the end of the game, all the pieces go back in the box. It's true, isn't it? Right? You know how you play? And you're, you're, any of you, are you any Monopoly people? Oh, yes. Many a couple has gone through marriage therapy because of Monopoly. <laughs> Stick to shoots and ladders, something else. But there's a lot of pieces in Monopoly. You have kingdoms, you're building stuff in hotels, and there's power, right? At the end of the night, what happens? It all goes back in the box. That's the way your life is, too. So you have to choose my life is for me and my household, what I can control as for me, my sphere of influence, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the bottom line to this whole thing. And he's saying, now, Joshua's saying, I'm up in years, and now we're down to this thing, because if you don't get this right, you're going to miss out on the biggest, the biggest joy, have all that stuff, but really not have the joy that would come with it. Joshua chapter 23, and He's really giving two speeches here, by the way. 23 is to the leaders, 24 is to the, to the audience as a whole, or the nation as a whole. You'll see a little bit of differences in the crowd and a little bit of difference in the words. These are two different speeches, but they are his final farewell pieces. And the six points he's going to give to you and me are extremely applicable. Here we go. Chapter 23, verse 1. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies. By the way, that rest from all their enemies, that's his... That's his that's a phrase that happens, that occurs several times in the book of Joshua. In other words, it's not that the land's perfect, but they've taken it over, and the people who've survived this realize don't fight Israel because they're gonna, they'll take you down. And so there's rest. There's a sense of calm and peace about the land. All the enemies around them. And Joshua by then is a very old man, and he summons all Israel. They're elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And he says to them, I am very old. Verse 3. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It is for the Lord your God who fought for you. Stop there. Don't let this get past you too quickly. He's saying the Lord has done this. If you have anything good in your life, the Lord has done this. And it's important for us to realize it was, that, it was true in Joshua's day. It reminds me of James chapter one. Every good and perfect gift comes from God the father of lights, of whom there is no shadow or turning. In other words, he only gives good gifts. You only have what you have today because of an open-handed, gracious, generous God who's in heaven. Now, he gives to us, here they are. These are the power of choices. He gives to us six choices you have to make. Number one choice, chapter 23, verse 6. Be very strong, be careful to obey all that's written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Number one thing, choose to be strong. Choose to be strong and obey the word. This is almost a restatement of chapter one, isn't it? it he says the same thing. Be strong in the, in the, in the word and, and listen to it, meditate on it, think about it, don't turn to the left or to the right. That's chapter one, verses six, seven, and eight. Why does he repeat this? because it's so important, because we have a tendency, number one, to not be strong in the word, to be somehow watered down, or somehow we have a tendency to let it, to tame it, to somehow customize it, or somehow make it palatable to people. And when you do that, when I do that, it's no longer life-giving, it's no longer life-changing, 
because we've changed the equation of the word. The word is straight up life-giving. Change it, and then you've changed it. It won't work. It doesn't work anymore. There's a tendency for us to somehow calm it down or to go weak on the word. There's also a tendency for us not to be careful. So he says, verse 6, be strong, be very careful, be very careful, he says. So pay attention that you listen to the word and that you, that you heed to the word and then be very careful that you obey it because don't be sloppy with the word. Don't, don't realize it's not the 10. God didn't give the 10 suggestions, did he? <laughs> we would have liked that, right? He gave the 10 what, class? They're, they're the commandments. And you can't say, well, I, I it's multiple choice. I can do four out of the six. That's good enough. No. They're commandments. He wants to preserve your life he does that for your good. There's a tendency for us not to be very careful or to be sloppy with our application or partial in our obedience or somehow casual about our approach to the word and postponed obedience, you know this to be true, is disobedience. So he's saying, get with it, be very careful. There's a tendency not only to be not so strong but to be weak, to be casual with the word, not very careful. But there's also a tendency for us to turn to the left or to the right with the word and make the word say what we want it to say. And you, that happens all the time. The evening news does this. It just pay, takes clips, right? And you know that. You get the, if you got the context of that, it would be different. And then, but we do that with the scriptures as well. And he's saying, don't make it say what you want it to say. You do what it says. Be very careful, number one. Be very strong. Resist the urge to go weak on the word. Be committed to the scriptures, he's saying. That, and that's good for you and me. Why? Because all the word of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Paul writes to Timothy. There's the transferable concept right there. I can mark my path according to the word. He lights the path, Psalm 119. His word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It, he'll help me if I'll just be careful to stay on the path and not go to the left or to the right. Number two, no, we need to choose to be strong. We need to be choose to, to hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to the Lord, verses seven and eight. Do not associate with the nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their God or swear by them. Stop there. When he's saying do not associate with the nations, he's not saying be unkind. He's not saying be nasty, be an isolationist. That's not it at all. That'd be a misappropriation of the text. If you keep reading, don't call to their names, to their, the names of their gods, or swear by those names. Get this? This is an issue of mixing your faith with their faith, which would then become idolatry. This would be mixing, you must not serve them or bow down to them, but you must hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Do not mix your faith with their faith. Why? Because it'll mess it up every time. If you came to my house and I said, Are you hungry? Yeah. It's morning time. Let's make an omelet. So I make an omelet. I give you a three-egg omelet, right? Mix it up, and as I push, push it, the omelet on the plate across to the table to you, and I say, it's a pretty good omelet. Two of the three eggs were pretty good. That third one, oh boy, we're not, we're not real sure about that third egg. Would you eat that omelet? No, I'd be a fool to give it to you. Wouldn't be right for me to give it to you. Why? Because one messed up egg messes up the entire omelet, right? Any of you, it's, we're coming up to Christmas, right? We, do, we have this thing, and every winter I do this. Do you buy these, um, I must be hungry. All the illustrations are about food. Uh, 
Do you buy these tangerines in the little box? Anybody else do this? They're called cuties or something. I don't know what they're called, but they're little tangerines. They're coming out again, and I, I eat those. They're just like candy to me. We always have a box of them on our island at home, and I'm always like throwing one in a pocket and eating it later in the day. They're great. Are they not? Oh. Well, I, I got a box of these once not, not long ago, and I don't know what happened, but one of them turned fuzzy green down the middle. And it's like, oh, my word. Okay, you can have that one. It's, you take that one. It's got penicillin on it. It's good for you. No. You don't even want that. You don't want that one, but you don't want the ones that are touching, right? Because it's contaminated. The whole thing's going to the dump pretty soon. Why? Because a little bit of it affects the rest of it, right? That's a biblical concept. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, bad company corrupts good character. That's the sermon I preached to those oranges. Bad company. One bad tangerine took the others down with them. You know, it's just it's what preachers do. They yell at fruit all the time. <laughs> but you know it to be true. The people in your life who are closest to you will have the most impact on your life. That's why you need to be careful with who you allow close into your life. I hope you get this. That's why you need truth tellers who are gracious with you, but who will confront you, but will, will be kind to you and encourage you, but will come back with the truth to you. You need that in your life. And the ones closest to you will have the greatest impact. That's why you have to pick your friends closely. And that's why when, when Joshua gives the speech, he says, you be really careful to hold fast to the Lord because, why? If you don't, you're gonna be mixing that faith and that faith will pollute your faith and it'll be of no good to anybody, verse eight. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. You are to hold fast tightly, strong, hold on. Well, when I was a kid, um, my parents would oftentimes have missionaries over to the house. Um, we had these, this couple that were in Chile, South America, and then they eventually went to Spain in, uh, in Europe. Bob and Minnie Sue are their names. My mom and dad went to seminary with them together, Bob and Minnie Sue. Bob did not drive a car. He drove a motorcycle because that's what he, he usually rode a horse in Chile or a motorcycle. So when he came to my dad's church that Sunday night, they came over and they're going to spend the night and we're going to have dinner and pie and all that kind of stuff. But I was, I don't know, maybe eight years old or something. And Bob said, hey, let's go for a ride. <laughs> oh, I don't know if we can, you know. Oh, sure we can. Well, I got on the back of the motorcycle. You have to understand, Bob's ridden, he, he had ridden his motorcycle from the United States down to Chile. This guy's a bike rider, okay? And his, his skin had bugs permanently planted <laughs> in it. Think about it. Bob's in heaven, by the way. He's a wonderful man. I mean, wonderful guy. But I, I got on the motorcycle, and then he tore off down the driveway and down Green Street where we lived. And I kid you not, I think it was 100 miles an hour. It was probably more like 27. But it felt like 100 miles an hour. And I squeezed. And he just laughed because he knew as soon as he'd take a curve, I would just, I, would, I, I couldn't get any stronger. And I would just squeeze him even more. Just, I was just melted into his back. I mean, I didn't want to open my eyes. My head was in his back. And he's laughing. And he would sing hymns while doing that, too, which was not comforting, because it felt like, 
we could be dying, but that's the way he drove. He sang great hymns of the faith while racing down the road in his motorcycle. That's what it means to hold fast. Don't just casually hang on. That's how you lose it, see? Hold on tightly. He's saying, verse eight, you hold fast to the Lord. And this is not that you're exclusionary of these other people, but you want to hold so fast, no one can get between you and the Lord. You got that? That's the way it ought to be with you. No one can weasel their way in because you're squeezing in so tight. Number three, choose to love the Lord. Um, Chapter 23, verse 11. So you must be careful to love the Lord your God. Why, Why does he say that? Well, because if you're so committed to honoring the Lord and obeying the Lord and you're being careful and you're not going to the left or to the right, you could become gruff with your faith, right? It could be kind of of harsh. And so he's saying, make sure that you're tenderhearted, that you're affectionate with the Lord because this is about a relationship with the Lord, not about you obeying rules or somehow pleasing a God who can never be pleased. No, it's not that at all. It's that you want to obey the Lord, but in the midst of this obedience, um, striving, you could become harsh. You could become cold. You could become calculated. And God wants us to be tenderhearted towards him, to be affectionate, to have a sweetness in the relationship. So choose. You have to choose to love the Lord, to be kind-hearted towards him, to know that he's out for your good. And that's what number four is. Choose to see the good hand of God. Turn the page now to the second message that Joshua gives, Joshua chapter 24. By the way, I, I love this. He's coming back the second time in verse, um, verse three. Pick it up there. He says, but I took your father Abraham from the land behind, beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir. And he goes on to say, Jacob went on, and he begins to tell a story. And this is, this right here in one page, he's given you the whole start of the nation, and the story of Genesis, bits of it, and now the Exodus, verse five, when I saw Moses and Aaron, I afflicted the Egyptians, and I brought you out. And he said, I did all that, and he gives to you in short form the whole story of the Exodus. How many of you like to read? How many of you not so much, don't like to read? How many of you only read if you see pictures? Yeah. This passage covers the story of Genesis, Exodus, and bits of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the short story. And the reason that he does this is to remind you and me just how good God has been. You just have to stop and realize the Lord has provided. And so you have to choose to see God has provided. And if you don't stop and do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to look around and you're going to wonder, why did he get that and why did she get that and I didn't get that. And then you'll have a spirit of discontent within you because the Lord provided, but not always just for you. He provided for other people as well. So you have to stop. I encourage you this week, take a night, turn everything off, all the electronics off, and just sit with a, with a pad and pencil and just write, these are the blessings of the Lord. These are the ways that I got where I am today. The only reason I am where I am today is because the favor of the Lord has been upon my life. And I, I when Joshua writes this, he says, this, these are the words of the Lord. I gave you 
the land into your hands. I gave you not only the land, but I gave you cities that you didn't build with your own hands. I gave you vineyards you did not plant. In other words, you're not this good. You'd never get this far if it weren't for my hand. But if you don't see the good hand of the Lord, what'll happen is you'll see the disgruntlement of your own heart because you'll begin to compare. And you'll always wonder, why is it always better over there? And then you'll get off track and that discontent spirit, you'll lose every time. So you have to choose to see the good hand of the Lord. Or you'll be making the choice to see why didn't God do this or why didn't they do that. Number five, choose to fear the Lord. Chapter 14 now, verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your, an- your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. S- stop there. You have to choose to serve the Lord. If ever there were an Old Testament warning that could be given in the New Testament, it's to choose to fear the Lord and serve only him. To fear him, to take him seriously, that he means business. But, but, but we're, we're way ahead of ourselves. Go back to the verse again. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. In other words, do this faithfully, consistently, with no mixture of error. But then he says, throw away the gods. What's going on here? They have idols in their tents. They have stuff. And he's saying that stuff came from beyond the Euphrates River. This is from a hundred years ago. This is not something that they experienced. They've never been on the other side of the Euphrates. And he says, and from Egypt... These people are not from Egypt. They, they never saw Egypt. They are carrying around the idols of their parents. You know what we call this in psych terms? This is called baggage. Altogether now, say it. Baggage. Everybody has baggage. Yeah. Some of you just go, oh, I don't. If you say, I don't, you, you got supersized baggage. Yeah. You know, the first sign of addiction, I don't have a problem. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we could go there. These people were carrying around the idols from when their parents, grandparents, were in slavery. Some of you are carrying around the abuse, the dysfunction, the sin of your parents and grandparents. This is all you know to be normal. You know how to fix that? You have to break the cycle in your generation. That's the only way. And you know what? It'll be a gift to you because it'll be tough, but it'll be a gift to you, but it'll be a real gift to the next generation. But you have to see this as an idol, as baggage from your past. By the way, everybody has baggage. All God's children got baggage. It's just the way it is. And in light of that, he says, you have to let this go and choose to fear the Lord. And then you have to act on it. You have to chuck it. You have to cut it off, get rid of it, throw away the idols. If you keep them around, you'll always, they'll always be a convenient thing to have. So you have to choose not to have them around, ever, ever, verse 14. And now verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land soon you're living but as for me and my household we will serve the Lord you have to choose 
I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, this sounds, when it starts, if serving the Lord doesn't seem desirable to you, what it sounds like he's saying, well, it doesn't matter to me if you go this way or not. It's not the intention of that text. What he's saying is this. If it's undesirable to you, then go. Check it out. Because truth can be challenged. Truth can be tested. You can go. Do your work. If you want to follow those gods, the gods of your ancestors, you want to live like that and see how their life went, if that's what you want, you go do that. But I'm telling you, as for me and my house, I've already made the choice. We're going to serve the Lord. Not only can truth be tested, but he's, he's also saying, I don't want you to make this decision in the midst of a vacuum or in ignorance. So you already know about these gods. So you put it down on paper if you want. You decide. But it's your decision. Because no one can force that upon you. Because you have to know. And, and not only do you know, but it have, you have to own it. You have to possess it. I can't make you decide, Joshua says. So you can get the property. You can get all the possessions in the world. Right? You can get the power. You can get elected to office in Israel. You can have prosperity. You can have the cattle. You can have the groves. You can have the vineyards. You can have it all. But if you aren't living according to God's purpose, it's all for naught if you don't do this right. So he says, he says, as for me and my household, my sphere of influence, we serve the Lord. Now, I can't speak for the whole nation, Joshua says, and I can't make you. Isn't it funny what we think we get away with you know, as, as our, you know we, we were all once children, and we always knew better than our parents, right? At 18, I think it was Mark Twain who said, I couldn't believe how foolish my dad was by my, 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 my mid-20s. I couldn't imagine just how wise he was. You know, you, your perspective really changes. But when you have a, a, a preschool or toddler, you can control them for the most part. It's time to go to bed. You can put them back in bed. Then you can hold them down in bed, then eventually lay on top of them in bed. You will stay in bed. By the time they're teenagers, you realize, I really, I cannot control them. I cannot. I want to, but I cannot. And you can put all kinds of devices in place, but ultimately they have to own their own decisions. And it's that way today with, with you and me. I cannot control. He says, verse 15, the very end of the verse, if you want those other idols, you can have them. But he says, as far as me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And when he says serve the Lord, that phrase, that word serve, appears a half a dozen times right within this small number of verses in various forms. But he's saying, my energy is going to the one, the one and only God who I know will make this work. And, and it's no longer me just saying, I have faith in him. I hope you see the difference. He's saying, I am servant to him. In other words, when he says to do something, I'm, I'm saying yes. As his mouth opens, my word is yes. As he makes the request, yes. When I read it in his word, I already know the answer. It'll be yes, Lord, because I am the servant. And I do not postpone the decision because postponed obedience is disobedience. Therefore, I make the choice, and I'm asking you to do the same thing, to serve the Lord, to make every decision you make come under the authority of God himself. Now, moment of truth, three phrases. I have to own my own decisions, my own choices. I can't blame, I can't shame, I can't shift. I, I can't um, bounce back or say reactively and counterattack people. 
I own my own decisions. You're a product of your own decisions. You know that, right? Secondly, I, I don't allow for excuses. I don't, I don't say, well, the situation or these people, they manipulated me or that pressure or my lack of substance or my lack of resource, whatever. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, those are your decisions. I don't make excuses. And I realize, too, that a no choice is actually a choice. When I say I'm going to put this off, that's a choice. And when I say maybe later, postponing that decision is the decision. My word to you is this, like Joshua's words. Then choose for yourselves whom you will serve. Who will be ultimately the Lord? He says, but as for me and my household, the influence I have, Joshua says, and I can't influence very far, he recognizes that. As for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. I already know the decision in my own heart. And I, I put that down not only as Joshua's words, but I gave you a spot. Because would those be your words? Joshua said them. Now will you. Now will you. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, you've been so kind to preserve for us your word these years. We thank you for the story of Joshua and the incredible power of the decisions that are ultimately ours. And Lord, we want to live to please you. And we don't want to be constantly in the throes of ongoing battles. So right now, would you settle in our hearts? These are the decisions we need to make particularly to honor you with our lives, to be strong in your power, ultimately for me and my household. We will serve the Lord. For many of us in the room with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that's not only the struggle, but that's the direction you want to go to say, I, I want to be strong in the Lord. That's my decision. I want to hold fast. I want to love the Lord. I just need to see the good hand of the Lord, and that's my choice to do that. I want to fear the Lord. Certainly, I want to serve the Lord. For some of us in the room, it's the first choice, and that's to allow Christ into our lives. And Maybe that's your decision today. Your choice. To say yes to Jesus, to be your Savior. You just do that where you're seated. To say, I want to follow him in faith. I want to trust him as Lord. And good for you if you do that. For the decisions being made now, Lord, we applaud you because we know even in the process of decisions, you are honored. May we live, we pray, to the glory of the one who saved us, whose birth we remember in this season, whose life-giving message and his bloodshed, death, and his miraculous resurrection is our hope. May we live to the glory of the one, we pray in his name. The church says amen.